Welcome to episode 81 of the Amanda Wagner podcast, the place for fiercely ambitious entrepreneurs and leaders who want to get off the sidelines, build a legacy, and claim their spotlight. In this episode, we talk to the brilliant Jessica Antony, who is an editor, writer, publishing consultant, and facilitator about what holds us back as writers and creators, what to do when we know we have something to share, but don't always know when to start, and some of her recommended habits and routines to get our work out in the world. I'm Amanda Wagner, speaker, business strategist, and professional hype woman. And I'm Liz Pittman, a digital communications specialist. The Amanda Wagner podcast is the place for ambitious entrepreneurs and leaders who are tired of looking at others and saying, why are they doing that and I'm not? And are ready instead to claim their own spotlight. On this podcast, we talk about the challenges and delights of being highly ambitious and how even though we're impatient and at times anxious, we can be intentional and make strategic decisions about how to get more of what we want in a noisy world. In our last episode, we talked about the imposter complex, and we are following that up with a conversation with Jess, who is not only brilliant, but incredibly concise and has such wonderful things to say. I am delighted to have her here. And today we're going to talk about writing and getting our words out in the world. So let me kick us off. Jess, you are passionate about people getting their ideas out in the world. Tell me where this comes from and why it matters to you. I think that it's really important that people tell their stories because Um, You know, I worked for a decade in academic book publishing. I worked for an independent publishing company. And in that work, I saw just how how frequently um, first time writers or new writers were passed over and just how challenging it is for new writers to get published. Um, Often the, you know, the big multinational publishers they're not really willing to take as much of a risk on a new writer, particularly a new writer that doesn't have an agent. And so in the independent publishing space, that's where those writers uh, are often picked up. So the work that I did was most often with uh, writers who hadn't been published before. Um, and they were writers who had amazing ideas. They had done uh, fascinating research that was contributing to Uh, whatever discipline that they were working in. Again, it was an an academic publisher. Uh, And that's the kind of work that needs to be out there, right? We we need to have new voices. We need to have fresh perspectives. Um, You know, it's it's how we evolve. It's how we grow. It's how our own ideas evolve and grow. Um, And so that's why I think it's just so important that you know, writers are given that message that, you know, your story is important, your perspective is important. It's different than anybody else's perspective. And just because of that, on that alone, that's why uh, it needs to be shared. So that's that's part of it. And the other part too, is that I, I also teach a, a writing course, an introductory writing course at the University of Winnipeg. Um, and so through that, teaching experience, I've been doing that for about 15 years. Um, I also see a lot of student writers who have a really amazing command of the English language. They again have like great ideas, they can formulate really interesting arguments. And 
they feel like, you know, getting their work published is a pipe dream and it doesn't have to be a pipe dream. So I think it's important that we're sharing this with people. That is so beautifully said because that's exactly how I feel about it. And as you were talking, the thought that came to my mind is how does a new writer become a seasoned writer if nobody is willing to take a chance on them or put out their work? So there's this fear going, I'd love to be published, but I don't think you can just send a, a manuscript to Random House Publishing and saying, do you want me? And so I think this this trepidation is not only common, but you've completely validated the fact that we do still have things to say. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you certainly can send a manuscript to Random House and say, hey, do you want me? Um, but you're probably going to end up in their slush pile. And so, you know, that's not to say I'm not trying to discourage people from approaching large publishers, but Oftentimes it's in the local publishers, um, the smaller independent publishers that again are more willing to take those kinds of chances um, that you're going to find that kind of uh, success or you're going to find that kind of interest. Um, and you'll, I mean, I'm a bit biased just because I worked in independent publishing, but I find too that sometimes you end up with an editor who has more invested in your story and in your work and they're able to spend a lot more time with you uh, which benefits not just you but it benefits the work it benefits the publisher and and everything you are not only an editor a publishing consultant and an instructor on writing but you yourself are a writer to me that carries a lot of weight how does being a writer yourself impact the way that you support other people well, I mean, I think I uh, can relate to that feeling of uh, fear, of putting your work out there, of not feeling, you know, good enough, of feeling like, you know, everyone's just going to see through this series of smoke and mirrors I've constructed to make it seem like I know what I'm doing and I have no idea uh, and so I get that. I, I understand that feeling. And, you know, nobody knows what they're doing. <laughs> Let's be honest. Um, and so, you know, there's there's that element to it. I also understand, too, how it can be challenging to let your words go, right, to to send it off, to feel like, OK, I I'm OK with just this is the final copy or even just giving it to an editor, you know, especially if it's something where. You know, there's different genres of writing where the actual words themselves are precious, right? Um, you know, maybe in academic writing, it might be a little bit more that the ideas are the thing that the writer is really holding fast to and that the specific words maybe aren't, they aren't, aren't as committed to. Um, but either way, you know, it can be, it can be challenging to, to feel okay with sort of handing off your baby <laughs> to an editor. So I definitely get that feeling. And so I can, I can relate to that. And I kind of, I consider myself, you know, an author's editor. I am there to champion your work and I'm there to help you make it better. I'm, I'm there to help you sort of like midwife it into existence. <laughs> um, and you know, my goal is to uh, provide guidance to improve your work without showing any traces that I was there. 
I don't want my voice to enter into your work. That is not my job at all. Um, so I'm very, I'm very much aware of, you know, the edits that I suggest or the changes that I make are not simply because, well, as a writer, I would write this sentence this way. That that's not my job at all. So that's sort of how I approach it, and I think that's how I can can relate with other writers. I have never wanted to write a book more than at this moment because of that analogy, the idea of you being the midwife of my book. To me, you are, you're the writing doula. You will hold my hand along the way. You will find out what my preferences are and kind of guide me down that path. Now you're right. I, I, from my experience as somebody who wants to write a book and reached out to you saying, I am scared shitless. I think you're going to bust me and find out that not only am I not ready to write a book, I'm not even a good writer and all of the fears of I'm not good enough at this. Turns out she's not a good writer. She's not even a good person. That's where I came to you from. Is this a common experience? And part B, what is it that you tell people to help them shed this imposter and help them actually make progress? Well, I mean, first of all, 100%. It's absolutely common. Um, it's common in the clients that I work with. Um, it was common when I was a managing editor for a publishing company and the authors I would work with there. Um, I also, you know, one of the things I've, I've done in terms of my own writing is a, a series. I've posted it on, on Medium. It's called a writer, the Writer Series, uh, where I interviewed a bunch of writers. And not once did I interview a writer who said, I am incredibly confident and my work is amazing and I wish everyone would read it and I'm happy to just share it with the world with no problems whatsoever. You know, so, you know, even writers who have published multiple books would say, well, I don't know if I would really consider myself a writer. It's like, but you've, you've got books with your name on it, you know? So I think it's really common. Um, and you know, part of me, it finds that kind of endearing that it's like, oh my gosh, like this community of people who are just sort of, you know, so humble <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, but another part of me wants to be like, no, just cut it out. Like this is, this is a lie. <laughs> this is not true. Um, and I don't think that there's really any sort of secret formula or any kind of trick that you can do to sort of get yourself out of that line of thinking. I think maybe, you know, there's, there's maybe two things. Number one is just to acknowledge like, this is a reality. This is, uh, this is how I feel. And this is how every writer feels. This is a very human feeling that you're, you're, you have a fear of, uh, vulnerability. You have a fear of failure. You have a fear of even like, this is my best work. And what if my best work isn't good enough, right? So everyone has all of those fears. So let's first just acknowledge it. Um, and then I think the second thing too, is that, you know, rather than fighting those feelings or pushing back or like going to battle with your demons, uh, it's to instead just say, okay, you're here. All right. Hello, bad thoughts. Um, what are you trying to tell me? Like coming at it sort of more from a place of curiosity, which I know is a lot easier said than done. 
but to just ask, okay, well, this is how I'm feeling. This is a human feeling. This is normal. I'm just going to let you carry on. You can just move on through and that's just fine. You're here, um, but I don't really need you. So thank you for showing up, but you can sit down now <laughs> and just recognizing that like, you know, you have to just, um, you just have to push yourself to, to be vulnerable. If you want to get through that, that's really the only way. What's the quote? It's like the only way uh, around it is through or something along those lines. <laughs> I'm glad you brought up the idea of humility and people who are established writers with their their names on the spines of books still feeling like they're not legitimate. One of the things that we do in this space is, and I said this in episode 80 of our podcast talking about the imposter complex is let's just set humility aside for a second. Let's take it off the pedestal. We don't always have to be humble. That doesn't have to be your number one value. It's okay to want to have your words out in the world. It's okay to think that they're good. And it's okay to ask for help and support to make them better. In this conversation, we, of course, have talked about writing a book, right? Creating a manuscript. That's where I came to you. But for people who are listening who do want to get their words or ideas out, but it doesn't look like a book, how else do you recommend people start to get their ideas out in the world and find some comfort with being a published author or creator, whatever that word is for them? Latching on to that, that sense of humility is a self, self-preservation technique, right? Because then you're kind of getting ahead of it where you're like, oh, well, you know, I'm not that great so that nobody can say like, you're not that great. You're like, I already said it, so we're good. Um, so recognizing that I think is helpful. Um, but yeah, books are amazing, but that's not the only option that you have. You know, there are, you can um, pitch articles to magazines, to uh, blogs. You can start your own blog. You can post on Medium, which is actually a really great platform where other people will see your work. You know, sometimes you might feel like, well, I'm, I'm writing this blog and like my, my mom is reading it. That's pretty much it. But even then, like that's how you know, those big online uh, platforms start, right? They start small. So I think, you know, having something like a blog, like, um, you know, posting, um, you know, content on social media, you know, putting your writing out there, even if it's in like small chunks like that, it's forcing you to write something, to have something to say and to release it and then to just see what happens. And then to recognize that, okay, maybe if people didn't love this as much as I did, that's okay. That's fine. Like not everyone is going to love everything that I write. And actually, probably you shouldn't be aiming for that anyways, right? It's impossible to write for everybody. Um, so part of that too is going to be kind of finding your niche, finding your, your audience. Like who am I actually talking to? So, you know, I think there's lots of options that don't involve you know, um, like pitching and getting an agent and, you know, aiming and writing a, you know, 60,000 word manuscript, like that isn't your only option. Um, and there's lots that are, that are free. And I think that's the beauty of being able to post your work online is that you can do it whenever you want, like from wherever you want, it doesn't have to cost you anything either, which is nice. But if you're not putting your work out there and you're not getting feedback on it, it's going to be really difficult to grow and evolve as a writer. You just read me. <laughs> yes, 
is all I have to say. Like, I hear you. And that's why I'm sitting here going, I've never been more motivated to write a book than at this second. There's something magical when you're speaking to an editor that I just am feeling, well, an editor like yourself. I imagine not everyone is like this, but there's this like, my shoulders go down. I start to trust that you are actually on this journey with me and want to create something that feels like me, sounds like me, and is for my type of person. And I feel so much comfort in that. What do you say to the person who up to this point, their writing or their publishing has been on a blog and it is just their mom that's reading it? Amazing. You're doing the work. You're doing the thing, right? You're writing and you're putting it out there. Um, you know, if you're trying to reach a larger audience, then and and you're you're getting yourself comfortable. I think the other nice thing about having like a blog or something like that is that you can start to set deadlines for yourself, right? Because that's the other part I think that helps with just releasing things is that okay, if I'm going to tell myself that every Monday morning I'm posting 1,200 words, then you got to just get her done, right? And 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 that also kind of helps to to remind you that sometimes good enough is good enough, right? It doesn't have to be perfect. It's never going to be perfect. You know, everything I've ever written, I can go back and just rip apart. I could edit it to death. Um, so there's always something that could be changed. I think that's another thing to remind yourself too. There's always something that could be changed. Um, and so, you know, having that blog and having a, a sense of maybe a schedule or deadlines is really great. And if you're trying to reach a wider audience, okay, so now's, now's the time to start thinking about, okay, well, what are the sources that I really love to read? Are there um, particular, you know, uh, websites or blogs or um, magazines or, you know, newspapers, depending on, you know, the, the kind of writing that you're doing that you really love to read that are speaking to you, then let's figure out how to pitch to them find their submission guidelines, you know, find who their acquisitions editors are, um, read those submission guidelines and follow them to a T to make sure that you're not getting discounted just from a technicality and start, start pitching, right? Cause the worst thing that's going to happen is that they're going to say no. And I love collecting no's. And so I'm a big advocate of don't ask, don't get. And to me, I'm like, the, yeah, exactly. The worst case scenario is that somebody says, no, you're in the exact same place when you started. One thing that I have done, and I don't think I've shared this with our audience yet, but I created a janky spreadsheet called the spreadsheet of asks. And I'm tracking all the things I ask for and the result. And I am astounded by how many yeses I'm getting simply because I'm asking. And from my sales background, I'm, I know it takes nine no's to get a yes. I'm like, yes, let's go find our no's. Let me go find all my rejections and get them out of the way so that I can make sure I can find my yes and it's the right yes. Now, when it comes to something being perfect, if we're waiting for perfect, we're going to be waiting a really long time. And last spring, I read the novel Ghosts by Dolly Alderton. And there's this beautiful line by one of the characters in the book who is a writer. And I've kept it written down in the notes app of my phone ever since. Because to me, it gives me this odd sense of comfort that writing is hard and scary, while also giving me a bit of a kick in the ass to make progress. And it says... I now learned from years and years of writing 
that the very best version of a piece of work was when it was still just an idea and therefore perfect. And I thought, that's it. That's the perfect excuse to keep me here, to keep me safe, to keep my quote unquote publishing to my Google Doc. My idea is perfect as it is. So let's just leave it there. Because if I do publish it, I do put it out in the world. It is at risk of criticism. It's at the risk of unsolicited feedback. It's at somebody saying, she sucks. I don't agree with her. Um, This is stupid. It's not good enough. What are the top three things that you think hold us back from actually pressing publish? Well, I think, you know, that vulnerability, right? You're sharing something of yourself. You're being, you're, you're, you're putting yourself out there. You're opening yourself up and, you know, putting that out into the world. And that's scary. It's uncomfortable. But again, you know, that's just part of the deal, right? That's what writers do. So, you know, if you think too about something that you've read and that you're like, I don't necessarily agree with this idea or this is not how I would write this. The amount of time you spend thinking about that is like a a blip. It's a drop in the bucket compared to how much time we obsess over that kind of thing. So I think, you know, (laughs) something that I remind myself is that like nobody, nobody obsesses over what you put out into the world as much as you do. (laughs) So like a little bit of that kind of grounding, I think is sometimes helpful, but yeah, that fear, that fear of being vulnerable, absolutely. Uh, The fear of failure too. Um, Just that, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to put something out there and it's just, it's not going to work the way I wanted it to, or it's not going to lead to that book contract. Like I thought it would. It's reality as well. Right. Or again, like I said before, you know, maybe this is your very best. This is the best that I can do. And I put it out there and it doesn't get the kind of response that I expected. That's also scary. But I think, again, just reminding ourselves that like these things are realities. And, you know, the only way that we can, you know, to push through those things is to simply, you know, push through them. Right. You have to just and that's why I think starting smaller, like having a blog or posting content, even just like, you know, your your I don't know, your social media captions. Right. Like things like that, trying to get more vulnerable and sharing a little bit more of yourself on those platforms where the stakes are a little bit lower can just be the baby steps that you need to kind of get there. Um, But again, if you're not getting feedback then you're, it's going to be really hard for you to grow and develop as a writer. So I think like, even if it's negative, feedback is helpful, right? That feedback might be telling you, these aren't my people. This is not my audience. So that's fine that you don't like it, but it wasn't really for you anyways. So cool. Um, or that feedback could be, you know, really constructive. Like, oh, actually, there's a different perspective here that I never saw that this is actually really helpful and something that I can incorporate into my work next time around. That's also very helpful, but you need to put it out there in order to get that back. My instinct is, okay, yeah, get some feedback, but then I get feedback and I get defensive. And that can become, again, it's it's a similar self-preservation. They're wrong. They don't understand. Alternatively, we listen to that person and go, oh my God, they're right. I shouldn't share anything else. So I definitely understand that feeling. I want to call Liz in here because 
you brought up social media captions and how that's an opportunity to, for people to kind of dip their toe into vulnerability and into writing and seeing what people respond to. Liz, as somebody who will write captions for other brands, what is that like for you to take on somebody's persona and speak in their voice as a way of testing with your audience? It's one of my favorite parts of the job because I feel like I get to start the day wearing like seven different hats and I just like take off the ones and put on the ones depending upon who I'm writing for in that moment. But there has to be, we go back to the conversation about vulnerability, there has to be the opportunity for me as the writer to be able to get the goods from the person or the brand in the first place or else I'm never going to be able to express that on their behalf. So if we're, if we're speaking specifically from the social media lens here, if you're getting someone else to write those captions, you still have to be able to provide those thoughts in a vulnerable way, whether you're the one that's actually doing the tap tap on the keyboard or not, there still needs to be that very open, honest discussion to get the ball rolling. I completely agree. And I've done similar work as well as a copywriter. It can be challenging to have to explain to people, if you can't tell me who you are, then I can't tell anybody else who you are either. I don't know. So you got to be able to tell me. And I think a lot of the time, you know, if we're, if we're sort of living in the realm of ideas, for sort of speaking more broadly about writing, we'll have an idea in our head, we'll, we'll, We'll unpack it, we'll, we'll turn it around in our mind and we'll go through all these different scenarios and we're like, oh yeah, like that sounds great and like this works with that. But it's once you actually get it down on paper, when you're, when you're forced to get it out of your head and put it into words, that's when you're really challenging yourself to, um, to explain it in a way that's understandable to somebody that is not also inside of your head. Right. Like I, I can feel a feeling or I can I can have I have these senses, but how do I actually put them into words in a way that makes sense? Um, and so just even thinking about writing as the act of clarifying your thoughts uh, can be also another sort of helpful way to sort of reconceptualize it, that it's a it's a necessary process. You're not going to make your ideas better just by rolling them around in your head. That's not to say that that's not helpful. Of course it is. But you really need to do that, that, that process of like, okay, well, how do I translate this in a way that is digestible? That's really smart. The rolling around things in your head. I've, I've been doing it for years and somehow it's not, it's not getting better. It's not getting clearer. Jess, are you familiar with Anne Lamott's book, Bird by Bird? I'm familiar, but I have not read it. You're going to have a really good time. Bird by Bird is one of my favorite books. Um, the subtitle is Instructions on Writing and Life. And the the premise of the book, this woman is, uh, as, a, as a child, at her family's cabin with her brother. And her brother has this massive project about birds that he has to do. And it's Sunday night and it's due the next day. And he is at the kitchen table crying, going, how am I ever going to do this? And their dad comes and sits down and says to her brother, just take it bird by bird, buddy. And it's this story of kind of one thing at a time. And this, this book is full of brilliance. It's something very dear to my heart. There are definitely instructions on life in here. 
one of her chapters is about shitty first drafts. And she talks about mm. how when she is writing, she has this intense fear that if she is sitting down at her desk, she's writing her shitty first draft and she leaves her house, what if she gets hit by a bus and somebody comes to clear out her house and they think that all she was capable of was this shitty first draft that sat on her desk. And yet the shitty first draft is essential. There's something about writing it and then having a person in your corner to make it less shitty. To me, that's really where you come in. And having worked with writers, being a writer yourself, what are some of the habits and routines that you find benefit great writers or people who want to be great writers to help them go from the shitty first draft to the excellent draft or the less shitty draft? Well, I think first, the solution to that problem, if you get hit by a car, is just to title the document shitty first draft and then people will know. Done. This was, this I am right now in my Google Doc. I'm just going to put shitty first draft for everything. Problem solved. <laughs> yeah, that takes care of that. Um, but in terms of, you know, uh, strategies or um, things that I think help um, a writer, number one is reading, honestly. Um, you know, I don't think that you, or I think it's actually, I don't know that, I don't want to be too definitive, but it's, it's very, very challenging to become a great writer if you're not reading a lot of other writers. And that's not just to say like, okay, like go and read Moby Dick or Hemingway or some shit like that. <laughs> like you need to, I think, look at your bookshelf, look at what you normally read. Um, and is there a particular demographic in the kinds of authors that you read? Is there a specific genre that you're really drawn to? That's cool, but you need to diversify. Right. So seek out different voices, seek out different genres, things that you wouldn't necessarily read, um, you know, uh, and be able to bring in all of those different perspectives, all of those different styles. Some of them you may not like. Great. That's fine. Uh, but I think diversifying what you're reading and diversifying your bookshelf is really important. Um, and then the other thing is just writing, like just do the damn thing. You know, and, and one thing that I find so helpful, I need to bribe myself to do most things, um, is, you know, open a Word document, set an alarm for 20 minutes, and just sit down, and you're not allowed to stop until the alarm goes off. And it's not, who cares what it's, it just stream of consciousness, consciousness, like, whatever comes to mind, just get it out of your brain. And it's even just in the practice of getting your fingers moving that I will often find that alarm goes off 20 minutes later and I'm like, okay, no, I'm going to roll now. Like I got, I got something going here. And if I don't, I wrote for 20 minutes. So then I know I've got that ball started so that when I sit down again to write, I already got 20 minutes under my belt. Okay. I can do this. That went by really fast. Just get it out. I think even just the act of starting, it's very sort of simplistic advice. Um, but that can be the biggest hurdle. And it's once you get over that hurdle that you realize like, okay, no, I, I actually kind of know what I'm doing here. Pausing because I'm thinking about this. It, frankly, I'm like, is this an excuse that I can use that in the last year, 
I have not been reading as much as I want to. Is that because, I, I mean, it's, I know it's because of my life circumstances, but is part of that why I'm not feeling inspired or excited to read, knowing that routine is a better friend than inspiration, right? We all know this, that, that act of writing for 20 minutes can be incredibly powerful. When we're making excuses or figuring out why we do something, I call them the yeah buts. Of like, this sounds good, Jess, but... And so I have one more yeah, but for you, which is this all sounds really good. I'm going to go and read. But when I read books that are similar to what I want to create, or when I read articles that sound like what I want to do, it's easy for me to shut down and say, well, they've already done it. It's not going to be better than that. One more time. Can you tell me that my voice matters and is different? I mean, it's not going to be better than that, according to who, right? You know, again, your lived experiences are different than everybody else's. Your take, your your um, perspective is going to be different. Uh, your story is different. And your story is going to resonate with somebody in a way that that amazing article that you read that you love so much did not resonate with them at all. And so I think we just need to, you know, remind ourselves of that, that there, you don't have an identical story to, you know, those that you've read. And also to remember, too, that that person who wrote that amazing story felt the exact same way the entire time they were writing it. Um, and so, that, again, that this is these are human emotions, right? These are feelings that we all feel. Um, but if you're not, you know, again, getting that story or that uh, experience out of your head and onto the page, then you're not able to clarify for yourself how it is different, uh, how it is unique, what it does say. Maybe once you actually get it out onto the page, you're going to realize like, oh, I thought it was a story about this, but it's actually about this other thing. And it's taking me in this other direction because the act of writing is the act of, you know, producing this story and shaping this story and creating it. Um, so it's a necessary part of even understanding your own experiences. So even just sort of thinking about it in that way can sometimes be helpful. I'm sitting here soaking this up and I'm like, I want to keep talking and... I also want to finish this call and I want to write for 20 minutes. Liz, I want to do a quick pulse check. How are you feeling after hearing this conversation? <laughs> I am also feeling inspired to, yeah, like no offense, but I want out of here. Like I want to go write some stuff <laughs> because it's just, and I, we have felt this way with all of our guests so far, Amanda, this is just such a validating conversation. There's so much permission given here, whether that was your intention or not, Jess, this just feels nice. And that we're all in the same boat. We all have these fears, these challenges that we just need to get the hell over and get cracking on some stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Nobody knows what the hell they're doing. Like, let's just all start from there. Uh, and keep that in mind. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that writing is so powerful. Um, and, and again, it's even if you don't, I think the other thing too is like, you don't need to go at that little 20 minute exercise with the idea in your mind that like, okay, this is going to be something that I have to pitch to a publisher. It might just live in a Word document on your desktop and that's good enough. That's fine too. Right. So, you know, 
not having those kinds of expectations when you're going into that, you know, creative mode helps to give that writing permission to take whatever shape it needs to take. So for anyone who is listening to this, anybody in our audience that is is curious about this process and wants to learn more and take action in their writing, where do we find you and when do we call you? Well, so you can find me a couple of ways. You can find me on social media, so mostly on Instagram and LinkedIn. Instagram is at jessica.antony and LinkedIn is something similar. <laughs> I can't quite remember. So if you're more like business mode, then we can, you know, we can chat there. Um, I also have a newsletter, so you can sign up for that. And in that newsletter, I'll share writing tips and resources and strategies and things like that. You know, in terms of getting in touch for, for, for writers, it's mostly at that point where, okay, either I have, um, the outline of a manuscript and I need to, I need a little guidance on getting it developed into its sort of final form. <laughs> so I do developmental editing, which is essentially what that is, is helping turn a book proposal into a manuscript. Um, if you have a piece that needs an edit, right? So I've gone through this a couple of times. It's not my shitty first draft. It's maybe my like less shitty third draft and I'm ready for somebody else to have their eyes on it and, you know, make sure that like, does this actually make sense? Or have I just been like in this for so long that like I'm talking to myself and it doesn't make sense anymore. Then that's another time to get in touch. Or if you're like, this thing is polished. This is ready to roll. Um, I want to get this out there. I just need to make sure that like, I don't have any rogue commas where they aren't supposed to be and all of my I's are dotted. Uh, then I also do proofreading as well. So there's a, a couple of different stages, but I think the key thing when you're contacting any editor as a writer is to be really clear about what it is that you need. What kind of help are you looking for? Uh, Cause oftentimes I'll get a writer that contacts me and just says like, I want to write something, please help. And I'm like, again, like what we were talking about Liz with like writing for someone else is like, I don't know what that means. So <laughs> you're gonna have to be a little bit more specific, but yeah, that's generally when, when folks can get in touch with me. And again, if you just have questions like about the process, you know, things like that, then you can just shoot me an email, send me a DM. I'm on my phone all the damn time, just like everybody else. So I'll respond. It would be a complete miss if we talked about your Instagram without talking about what I refer to as cue card brilliance. And the only reason I say cue card is because your uh, word explanations and comparisons help me understand the difference between Q, C-U-E, and Q, Q-U-E, U-E, one that is very long, like the line. Jess, yeah. can you just tell us where this came from and why we should all follow you on Instagram immediately? <laughs> uh, well, so I started before I had a separate account for sort of my, my business. Um, I would post on my stories when I was copy editing something and there was a really common sort of maybe grammatical mistake that was being reproduced and it was like my pet peeve something like you know using the wrong word or you know even when students are thinking like oh i can't start a sentence with but or i can't start a sentence with and as an aside you absolutely can do both of those things uh or even just getting too caught up in these grammatical rules 
which I think doesn't help anybody. So I would post those like little writing tips on my stories and I got a lot of feedback from people saying like, oh my God, I never knew that. Or like, oh, thank you. That's like my pet peeve too. It's like so annoying when I see that as well. Um, and people would just, you know, respond and commiserate like that. And I thought like, hey, this, this sort of like makes some sense. And I had those index cards laying around. And so I just thought like, rather than, you know, at the time I was like, I don't have like a Canva Pro account and I'm not like a graphic designer. So I'm just gonna like use a Sharpie and write it down and take a picture of it. And there we have it. And it's been sort of, it's one of the the more hilarious things that I get to do because I get people sending me suggestions for things like, oh my gosh, you know, like my partner doesn't understand the difference between these two words is driving me nuts. Could you please like explain this one on your, you know, on your next writing tip? So I have a, a running list in my notes app of writing tips uh, that are, you know, I could do this until the end of time. <laughs> I want to thank you so much for being here. This conversation has clearly lit Liz and I up. Uh, I hope it has done the same for our audience. I hope that you are eager to hit stop and go sit down, set your timer for 20 minutes or whatever number of minutes it is for you and get writing. As always on this podcast, we believe in don't ask, don't get. So Jess, this is your opportunity. It's time for your ask. What would you like our audience to do after hearing from you, listening to our episode or jamming on these ideas? Ask for what you want, my friend. Okay, so I have, I have two asks. Number one is when you are diversifying your bookshelf, which I think everyone needs to do, buy your books from an independent bookstore. Do not buy your books from Amazon. Please do not do that. Number two, sign up for my newsletter. We can talk about all this like nerdy word stuff and uh, you know share all of our, our uh, editing and writing tips uh, there. So come and sign up and hang out with me there. Outstanding. Thank you so much. I can tell you, I have subscribed to that newsletter. It's one that I sit down and read because Jess has this magical ability to say so much in a concise way. I am definitely envious of it. Again, thank you so much for being here. This has been an absolute delight for us. I know that you are a facilitator, so I want to put a pin in that conversation for another time. I would love to chat with you about why we hire professional facilitators instead of Susan from HR, who isn't afraid of public speaking. Thank you again, Jess, for being here. Uh, I can't wait to see you on the internet. Awesome. Thanks, you guys. You have heard me thank Jessica Antony approximately 60,000 times, and it is clearly no secret that Liz and I are fired up after that conversation as always, we want you to think about something or do something, take something from this episode. And so given that Liz and I love to support local and we believe that we vote with our dollars, that ask for you is to pull back from the buy now on Amazon, visit your local bookseller and diversify your bookshelf with something new. Liz is a huge, avid reader. I am less so these days, but still engaged and love to read. So go buy a book you love from a shop that you want to exist in the next couple of years because where you spend your money counts. 
In the spirit of don't ask, don't get, I normally join you with an ask. Today, I am here to share something that I shared a little snippet about on today's episode, which is my spreadsheet of asks. I've created a very simple spreadsheet that details what did I ask for, who did I ask, and what did I get? On episode 80 of our podcast, we talked about the imposter complex, and I mentioned the name Tanya Geisler. She is an expert about the imposter complex. She is a leadership coach, and she talks at length about imposter complex and the 12 lies it is telling us. On episode 80, I said I was going to get brave and reach out to her, and I did. I asked her to be on this podcast, and she said yes. So stay tuned. We will be hosting the Tanya Geisler on our podcast. And that is my prompt to you. Go ask for something that you want because you just might get it. And my ask for you today is if you want someone to have your voice and write powerful social media captions, look me up. You can find my website, lizpittman.com or find me on Instagram at Liz Pittman. It's gonna take a conversation. As we chatted with Jess, it's gonna take some vulnerability so I can get to know you. But if we work together, we can get your story out in the world. So let's chat. One of my favorite things that you said was that by the middle of the morning, you've already put 10 different hats on. And I secretly love the idea of you drawing what the different hats of your clients look like. Because I imagine that my hat is gold and sequined. Thank you so much for that visual, Liz. Your hat is gold and sparkly, but still we're able to see your bangs, which I feel like is really important for the whole, the whole look, you know? I don't wanna hide those, those beautiful bangs. Thank you so much for your consideration about my hat. As always, Liz, it has been a pleasure to be here with you and I'm so glad you were able to be in this conversation with Jess Anthony. I can't wait to be back on the mic very soon. The pleasure was all mine. We will be back with episode 82 in two weeks. And until then, we will see you on the internet. Sometimes I wonder if our surprise when we do the like, it's going to be episode 82. If Anybody listening to that expects us to just like crumble at any moment. And that's why we're so excited for the next episode. Like, Holy shit, it's episode 82. As though we never thought we'd get here. <laughs> no, oh, no. It's, uh, it's because we celebrate how far we've come. That's why. Not because we're about to perish.